Our topic for tonight is Revelation's mother of all battles. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Remember that line? That was the opening line for the original Star Wars movie. And what we're going to look at tonight is, took place a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. We are going to study the mother of all Star Wars, the mother of all battles. But this is not science fiction. It's not fiction at all. This is the truth of God's Word. We're going to go back in time, deep within the heart of the universe, to where the first war took place. Revelation's mother of all battle. We're going back a long time ago to the very center of the universe, to God's throne. Let's go to Revelation 12, 7 through 9. The Bible says there, and there was war in heaven. We usually think of heaven as being a place of peace, a place of perfect happiness. But the Bible says here there was war in heaven. Let's go read the whole text. Revelation 12, 7 through 9, if you're taking notes. It says in Revelation 12, 7 through 9, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Remember that word, serpent. We'll come back to that later tonight. So the war that began in heaven has been transferred to planet Earth. Mother of all battles began in heaven. Now it is raging here on Earth. That leads us to a host of questions. First of all, how did the devil, the dragon, get into heaven? What was he and his angels doing up there anyway? And then another question, where did the devil come from? Did God create the devil? And if so, then isn't God at least responsible in some sense for all the evil, all the wickedness that the devil has done? And another question, why doesn't, why didn't God destroy the devil and his followers immediately? He could have. Why didn't he? And why did the devil come to this earth? Did God create the earth sort of like a junk shop to put the devil into? Why did he come to this earth? And then another question, why is there so much suffering in our world today? Have you ever asked that question? If God is so good, why is our world so bad? If God is love, why do we suffer so much? Have you ever asked the why question? Why, God? Why did you allow that to happen? Why does God allow innocent children to be carried away by evil men, to be tormented and some of them killed? Why does God allow babies to be born defective? Why? Have you ever asked the why question? Tonight, we want to look for some answers. As we look around our world today, we see a world of two very different contrasts. We see in our world good, and we also see evil. We see joy, but we also see sorrow. We see pleasure, but we also see pain. And we see plenty but we also see famine. There's life and there's also death. And people wonder why do these two contrasts exist in the same world? Why is there good and evil? The natural world doesn't have a proper answer for this. It's only as we take the Bible that we can find answers to our questions. 
The Bible reveals to us that God is the author of love and blessing. But on the other hand, the devil, he is the author of hatred and suffering. And because we were born on this planet, we have been born in a battlefield, on a battlefield. We find ourselves caught up in the controversy, the conflict between God and the devil. Jesus wants you to be happy, wants to bless your home, bless your family, bless your marriage if you're married. He wants to bless your health. He wants you to be saved. But then on the other hand, there's the devil, Satan. He wants, he has another plan. He wants to destroy your happiness. He wants to destroy your home. He wants to destroy your marriage if you're married. He wants to ultimately destroy you with himself in hellfire. We find ourselves caught up in this conflict between good and evil. Do you sense that conflict in your own life? You can feel sometimes the force of evil working. You can see God at work. And the question for us tonight is, who is responsible for all the wickedness, all the evil in the world today? Well, the, the answer, son, it's not God. That's right. God is not the one responsible for all the evil. The bad things in our world are really acts of the devil. I was one time flying for a speaking appointment, and the airline canceled the flight because there was a storm in the city that we were flying to, big storm. So I went to the agent. I wanted them to change my flight pattern because I had to get to my speaking appointment. And they said, well, this is an act of God, so we can't help you. I said, act of God? I don't think so. The bad things in this world are not acts of God. The evil in our world is actually acts of the devil. He's the one to blame. The Bible reveals a God of love. Let's read it from Jeremiah 31, verse 3. Jeremiah 31, 3 says, The Lord has appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. A loving God once created a perfect world where there was no such thing as death. There was no such thing as sorrow. There was no such thing as misery or problems. There was no such thing as that in the perfect world God created. That leaves us with this question. Where did it all come from? Well, an intruder came into that perfect world, an enemy, enemy of God and an enemy of man. And that intruder was the devil. All suffering, either directly or indirectly, is the result of sin. And who brought sin to our planet? Who? The devil did. So we blame him for the bad in our world. I've had people say to me sometimes, I think God must be mad at me because all these bad things are happening in my life. And I say, no, that's not God. The bad things that happen to us, they're not coming from God. The bad things come from who? They come from our adversary, our enemy, Satan. God is not punishing people with evil because, well, maybe we are bad. It's the devil that brings evil into our lives. Satan is the one to blame. He's responsible for every bad thing that happens, every accident, every evil thing. The Bible pictures Satan as a roaring lion. Let's read that from 1 Peter 5, verse 8. In 1 Peter 5, 8, the Bible says, be sober, be vigilant. In other words, watch out and be careful because your adversary, your enemy, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. And who is he after to destroy or devour? 
He's after me all the time. He's after me, and he's also after you. And so in order to avoid being destroyed or devoured by the devil, we need to know a couple of things. Where did the devil come from, and why did God allow him to come here to the earth? Well, son, let's start with that first question. Where did the devil come from? The answer you can read from Jesus in Luke 10, verse 18. Mark that in your notes, those of you taking notes. Luke 10, verse 18. And he, that's Jesus, said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from, from where? Heaven. From heaven. What was the devil doing up in heaven? How did he get up there? The Bible reveals to us a most tragic story. The story of a fallen angel. You can read the story in Ezekiel 28. Put that in your notes today. Ezekiel 28, verses 12 through 15. Here, under the symbolism of the king of Tyre, God is describing Lucifer. Lucifer, by the way, was the original word for the devil, Satan. Lucifer means light bearer. He was a bearer of the light of God, but he eventually changed into Satan. Let's pick up the story here in Ezekiel 28, 12 through 15. Reading here off the screen, it says, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus says the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. So we know this is a symbol of Lucifer. And then it says, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. So, son, when God made Lucifer originally, he made him how? Made him perfect. The Bible says he was perfect. Now, this brings us to a very important question. Did God create a devil? What's the answer? The answer is no. God created a perfect angel. Well, what happened? Well, you see, God gave Lucifer and all the angels, for that matter, freedom of choice, free will. God wanted the angels to serve him out of voluntary free will because of their love for him. So God gave them free choice. Now, God could have made robots. I mean, he could have put a little computer chip, microchip in the brains of those angels so they could not rebel. Did God didn't want robots. You parents here, would you like to have a robot for a child? You could call him Roby. Roby, eat your rice. Yes, Papa. Roby, it's time to do your homework. Yes, Papa, I'm getting it out. Roby, clean the house. Yes, Papa. You could program this robot to come into your bedroom every morning and bend over and put a plastic kiss on your cheek because he's got plastic lips, and he would say, I love you, Papa. I love you, Papa. I really do. He'd never disobey. Now, that doesn't sound too robotic. <laughs> would you like to have a robot for a child, parents? No. We want our children to throw their arms around us and tell us, I love you, mother. I love you, father, spontaneously, not because they're a robot. How much love could you get out of a robot? God wanted the angels to be free to choose. When God gave them freedom of choice, he ran a risk. 
that someone somewhere in eternity would abuse that freedom, and we know that someone was Lucifer. If there is no ability, note this, if there is no ability to make a wrong choice, then there is no true freedom of choice. So God gave the angels complete free will, running a risk. God wanted the angels to serve and to obey him out of voluntary free choice because of their love for him, not because they were pre-programmed to do so. And so God gave them freedom of choice. Bible says in Ezekiel 28, 15, Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created. So when God made Lucifer, he made him how? He made him perfect. He made him perfect. Let me illustrate it this way tonight. No doubt you have seen beautiful pictures of beautiful grape vineyards. And you can take grapes and you can make delicious, healthy, refreshing drinks. You can make grape juice, you can make raisins, and you can make many good things. But what do most grapes go for? Wine. They go for wine. And what do people do with alcohol, wine? They drink it. They drink the alcohol, and when they drink the wine, something begins to go wrong in the frontal lobe. The man who's been drinking wine might go home with the wrong wife. Or if he does come home to the right wife, he might abuse her, beat the children, throw a temper. Who should we blame for his bad actions? Well, I guess God, because God made the grape, right? No, God made the grape perfect. It's a process of corruption or fermentation that makes the alcohol. And a process of corruption must have begun in Lucifer's mind. When God made him originally, he made him how? Perfect. Perfect. God did not create a devil. And this, there's something you need to notice tonight. There were no external influences that were corrupting Lucifer. We live in a wicked world, don't we? Everywhere we turn, we see sights of evil. We're continually tempted to evil, but not Lucifer. He was living in the presence of a holy God, surrounded by holy beings, living in heaven, a holy place. No external influences were corrupting him. Neither was there any internal defect in him. God made him how? Perfect. So question. Did he have any reason, any excuse to rebel against God? He had no excuse. So why, son, did Lucifer rebel? What caused his rebellion? Well, Father, we can begin to get an answer from Ezekiel 28, verse 17. For those of you who are following in your notes, it says here, Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You have corrupted your wisdom by reason of your brightness. What do we call that when a person's heart is lifted up because of their beauty? That's called pride. Pride leads to selfishness, which leads, of course, to jealousy and then to envy, then to hatred, then to rebellion, then to revolution, and ultimately it leads to war. And what is the root cause? The root cause is pride, and we would find in our lives that a lot of the problems we have are also rooted in pride and selfishness. Pride is the mother of all problems. Let's notice Isaiah's description of Lucifer's pride, Isaiah 14, 12 to 14. Put that in your notes tonight. Isaiah 14, 12 through 14 says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? Remember Jesus? He said, I saw Lucifer 
fall as lightning from heaven. Isaiah is echoing that. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. See, Lucifer had a throne. He was a leading angel. There are many scholars that believe that Lucifer was the leader of all the angels, the highest angel. He had a throne, but he wasn't satisfied with his throne. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. That's where God's throne was located. Lucifer wanted God's position, but not God's character. So he says, I will exalt myself. Reading on, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Lucifer had eye trouble, right? Self-trouble. And he didn't just keep it to himself either. That's right. Lucifer began to spread his feelings and his sentiments among the other angels, began to spread lies about God. And he became a spoiler of the happiness, of the peace, and of the perfect obedience in heaven. For example, if you were to take a rotten fish and put it in a box of good fish, what would happen to the whole box? Well, the whole box would quickly rot. It spreads. And so Lucifer spread his feelings, his lies among the other angels. You see, all the angels had the same thing, freedom of choice. And so now that Lucifer was telling lies about God, the angels had to choose to either b believe God or to believe Lucifer. And we have to understand Lucifer was highly respected in heaven. He had been the leader of the angels. They loved him. They loved to obey him. So his power of deception was great. And no doubt he was saying things like, we are perfect angels. We don't need God to tell us what to do. We should just follow our own feelings. And if I were in charge, I would give you more freedom. You would be happier. God... Cannot lie. But the devil, no doubt, he told lies about God. He had a sort of an advantage. And the angels had to choose to believe him or to believe God. Now, of course, the devil, he's not, he didn't finish lying about God in heaven. He's still lying about God today. The devil, for example, may bring bad things into your life, and then he'll tell you, oh, you are a bad person. Look what God is doing to you, when in reality, he's the one that does it. Or the devil might tell you lies like, you don't want to be a Christian. You want to have freedom. Christianity is too restrictive. You want to have freedom to, you know, smoke if you want to, or get drunk if you want to, or carouse and party freely if you want to. You don't want to be a Christian. You want to have freedom. Well, sin is not freedom. Sin is bondage. It leads to death. That's right. If you want to be free, serve God. That's true freedom. Well, eventually, of course, the devil's rebellion broke out into war in heaven. You can, let's go back and read Revelation 12, 7 through 9 again. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels, and prevailed not. They lost the war. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, 
and his angels were cast out with him. Who came with him? His angels came with him. Where was he cast out to? Where do we live? Right here on this earth? That brings us to the question, why didn't, why doesn't God kill the devil? Why didn't he just smack him like you smack a mosquito? God could have. Why didn't he? Well, you see, if God had immediately destroyed the devil and his followers, the universe would not have understood right away God's dealing with Lucifer. And instead of the rebellion being stopped, the rebellion would have spread. The universe had no idea what Satan's government was like, what Satan's ways were like. So God had to allow sin to be planted as a seed to grow up and to reveal its fruit so that the universe could see the results, the wicked, the evil results of sin. If God had immediately killed Lucifer and his followers, the universe would have served God out of fear. And to prevent that, God had to allow sin to develop. But why was Satan cast out here? Why did he have to come here to our little world? Why is this world, as the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 9, for we are made a spectacle, the margin says a theater, unto the world, or the cosmos, and to angels, and to men. Why this earth? When God made the earth originally, it was a perfect world. And into that perfect world, God put two perfect people, Adam and Eve. Well, there were only two people in the world, Adam and Eve. And Satan saw this world as a place he could set up his headquarters for his kingdom. There were only two people he thought can easily lead them, lead them astray because God had given Adam and Eve the same thing he gave to the angels, and that was freedom of choice. There can be no true love without freedom of choice. And God wanted Adam and Eve to love him because they chose to freely. There is no true love without freedom of choice. For example, son, suppose some old lady forced you to marry her. Would you love her? No. Well, let me ask you, ladies here, suppose your husband had come to you with a gun. Marry me or I'll shoot you. Would you love him? Probably not. That would have been a shotgun wedding. Love cannot be forced. It cannot be coerced. And so God wanted Adam and Eve to love him voluntarily. So he gave them freedom of choice. But to have freedom of choice, you have to have a choice. What was the choice, son? Let's go back and read it. This is Genesis 2, 16 and 17. The first commandments God gave to man. It says here, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Was that a hard choice? That wasn't a hard choice. That was an easy choice, but often it's in the little things that we stumble. And then it, then it reads on in verse 17, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So there we find our two contrasts, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Evil was a knowledge God didn't want man to have to experience. God didn't want man to have to experience pain and sorrow and suffering and death. The knowledge of evil was a knowledge God did not want mankind to have to experience. It was as if God put a door at the entrance to planet Earth. God did not allow 
the devil to follow Adam and Eve everywhere they went, tempting them. It was at this forbidden tree that they were, he was allowed access to Adam and Eve. And no doubt God must have warned the world. Revelation 12, 12 indicates that. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. It was as if God said, Adam and Eve, if you eat from this forbidden tree, you'll open the door to sorrow. You'll open the door to pain. You'll open the door to death. There's a thief out there. Don't open that door. Well, you know what happened. The mother of mankind, Eve, wandered by that forbidden tree one day, and the devil was there knocking at that door, at that forbidden door. Let's read the story in Genesis 3, 1 through 5. Put that in your notes tonight. Genesis 3, verses 1 to 5. Genesis 3, 1 to 5, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now the serpent... The who? The serpent. Of course, that's a symbol of the devil. The devil was using the serpent as his medium. It says here, The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman... Yea, has God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. So did Eve know what God had said? Oh, yes, hers was not a sin of ignorance. And reading on, and the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. There's those two contrasts again, good and evil. It was as if the devil was saying evil is a knowledge you ought to have, you should experience. And in a moment of weakness, Eve obeyed the serpent. Let's read that here. Genesis 3 verse 6 says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that was pleasant to the eyes, and no doubt it was, it was probably a beautiful tree, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, the wisdom of evil, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Adam and Eve made the greatest mistake when they ate from that forbidden tree. That was sort of like the mother of all mistakes. When they ate from that forbidden tree, they opened the door to sorrow. They opened the door to pain. They opened the door to Satan. And he came in and broadcast the seeds of suffering and death. That's how sin came into this world. And, of course, that very day, Adam and Eve were sent out of the Garden of Eden, and they began to die that very day. They were evicted from their, from their garden home so they couldn't eat from the tree of life and become immortal sinners. And now the devil claimed the world as his headquarters. The Bible says in Romans 6.16 that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are. And man had turned over, so to speak, the control of the world to the devil. And the devil now claimed this world as his territory. Who would come and rescue man from the slavery of sin, the slavery of Satan? Thou shalt call his name Jesus. Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. John 3.16, the world's most well-known Bible text. Would you read it with me? 
For God so loved the world, altogether. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So now we can come back to our question tonight. And that is the question, who is responsible? It is Satan, not God. He, we blame him for all the disasters, all the sorrow, all the death, all the suffering in our world today. He, that old serpent, the devil and Satan. He was the one who brought sin to this world in the first place. And so you can blame him for the bad in this world. But there is good news. Someday God himself is going to punish the devil and all his angels. The Bible says hellfire was prepared specifically for the devil and his angels. We'll look at hellfire in a future topic. But there's another more practical question, and that is, why does God allow sorrow and suffering? We know he doesn't cause it. The devil causes it. But why does he allow it, since he's all-powerful, to come upon us? As we look out of the broken windows of our shattered lives, that question haunts us. Why does God allow suffering? Why does God allow me to suffer? Why does God allow that person, that innocent person, to suffer? There's probably no complete answer to that question in this life. When we get to heaven, we can ask God why. We'll be satisfied with his answers. But there are at least four reasons why God sometimes allows the devil to bring pain, to bring sorrow, to bring suffering to our lives. And we want you to mark these four reasons in your notes tonight, if you're taking notes. The first reason why God sometimes allows the devil to bring sorrow to us is to reveal our character. How we react to adversity demonstrates what's in our heart. Let me illustrate this way. Let's suppose we have up here two jars. We label each jar honey. We fill one jar with honey. We fill the other jar with vinegar. They look similar. Suppose we take the lids off these jars and we tip over one of those jars. What's going to come out? Hi. Whatever's inside, right? right? If there's honey inside, honey will come out. If there's vinegar inside, vinegar will come out. You understand the illustration, right? We can write up here Christian. We can claim to be Christian. But when we get upset, whatever's inside is going to come out. Did you ever get upset? Did you ever have some, somebody come along and just mm, mm, tip you over? Yeah. What came out? Honey? Husbands, shall we ask your wives to answer that? When you get upset, what comes out? <laughs> Somebody said vinegar. Wives, shall we ask your husbands what comes out when you get upset? Sometimes God allows us to suffer to reveal what's really in our hearts. I've heard people say, well, if God lets that happen to me, I hate him. Well, that's the vinegar coming out. Think about Jesus. When he was being nailed to the cross, when they were spitting in his face, what came out? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I pray for that kind of character, don't you? Sometimes God allows the devil to bring suffering to us to reveal our character. That's the first reason why sometimes we suffer. 
There's another reason, though. Number two, the second reason God sometimes allows suffering to come upon us. Number two is to purify us. Number two, to purify us. Where do they put gold to purify it? They put gold in the furnace. They put gold in the fire. There in the fire, all the dross, all the impurities are removed from the gold. And the Bible tells us in Isaiah 48, verse 10, Behold, I have refined you, but not with silver. I have chosen you where? In the furnace of affliction. A pleasant place to be? No. No. But it's there that we are perfected. So number two, God allows us sometimes to suffer to purify us. Where do they put bread dough to perfect it? They put bread dough in the oven, but it's hot in the oven. And if the bread could speak, maybe it would say, it's hot in here. Let me out of here. But there in the oven, it's being perfected. So it's worth something. Now, God does not work on worthless material, my friends. If you're not having any sort of pain or any sort of trials or suffering in your life, then maybe you are the one that has reason to be concerned. But if you're having trials, if you're having suffering, you can know that God sees in you something valuable. It's better to suffer all our lives here and have heaven than miss heaven and have no problems here on this earth. And so number two, God allows us sometimes to suffer to purify us. To prepare us to live in heaven, that perfect world. Third reason why God sometimes allows us to experience suffering and sorrow. Number three is to strengthen our faith and experience. The strongest trees in the world are those on the mountaintops that have had to face the wind and the storms. Just so the strongest Christians usually are those that have suffered the most. We did ministry years ago in the former Soviet Union. And we met people that had been persecuted under communism. And they had a strength of Christian experience you hardly find these days. The Bible tells us, James 1, verses 2 and 3, mark it down. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations or trials, that is, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. So, son, when we have problems, we're supposed to count that joy. That's right. I haven't arrived yet. Sometimes I still complain. But God allows us to suffer to strengthen our faith and experience. Let's go on now to our fourth reason God sometimes allows us to suffer. Number four, God sometimes allows us to suffer to allow us freedom of choice. You see, God sees all our suffering and he sees all the suffering of the whole world. And sometimes people say, well, why does God allow it? Why did he allow it in the first place? It was to give us freedom of choice. If God took away all pain, all sorrow, all suffering, he would have to take away also our freedom of choice, our freedom to choose wrong with its consequences. Bible tells us in Galatians 6 verse 7, whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. For example, a man smokes his whole life. And while he's dying of lung cancer in the hospital, he accuses God of letting him die. Well, it's not God's fault. He's reaping the results of his life. Now, of course, 
Don't misunderstand me. Sometimes innocent people suffer with the guilty and for the guilty. And the greatest example was who? That's Jesus. Did he suffer? Yes. Was he innocent? Oh, yes. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 3, 18, he suffered the just for the unjust. There on Calvary's cross, we see the greatest victory in this great controversy, this war between good and evil. On the cross, we see what the devil did to the Son of God and what he would do to every one of us if God let him. And there on the cross, we see what God was willing to do to save man from sin, from Satan. Think about it. It was on the cross that Jesus bought back our freedom of choice. Before Christ's death, we were doomed. We had no hope. But since Christ's death on the cross, we can choose eternal life or we can neglect that choice or reject that choice. So here we have our four reasons briefly reviewing that sometimes God allows us to suffer. Reason number one, to reveal our character. Number two, to purify us. And number three, to strengthen our faith and experience. And number four, to give us freedom of choice. Those are the four reasons why God sometimes allows the devil to bring sorrow to us. But there's another question we need to consider. Has sin caused God any sorrow, any suffering? Well, we usually think of sorrow and suffering only how it affects us. But God has had to suffer more than anyone else because of sin. I like how one author put it. It says, few give thought to the suffering that sin has caused our creator. The cross is a revelation to our dull senses of the pain that from its very inception, from its very beginning, sin is brought to the heart of God. So on the cross, we, were, we are able to see what sin cost God. God has had to suffer ever since the beginning of sin. But there's another question we need to answer tonight, and that is, where is God when we suffer? That's the most important question. If you have missed every text tonight, don't miss this text, because at some point in your life, you're going to want this text for hope. And our text is Isaiah 43, 1 and 2. Where is God when we suffer? Here's the answer from the Bible. Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 2 says, But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob. Put your name there. He created you too. And he that formed thee, O Israel. Put your name there. He formed you too. Fear not. For I have redeemed thee, I have called thee, I have called you by your name. You are mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. You might feel tonight that you're sinking down beneath the waves of discouragement, waves of despair. Maybe you're sinking in financial difficulty. Maybe you're sinking in a marital problem. Maybe you're sinking in discouragement. God says, I will be where? With you. I will be with you. Those proud waters of difficulty are not going to wash over your soul. God says, I am there with you. He's with us. That's the answer to the question, where is God when we suffer? He's right with us.
And he says, when thou walkest through the fire, thou, thou shalt, shalt not, not be, burned. be burned. The bread is in the oven. Yes. But there is a kind eye watching the bread to make sure it doesn't burn. The cook, the baker. And just so you might tonight find yourself in the furnace of affliction, but you need to know that there is a loving eye on you watching to make sure that you don't burn. God didn't say you wouldn't be in the fire. He didn't say you wouldn't walk through the water. He says, I'll be with you. And when you're in the furnace of affliction, God says, you will not be burned. The flame shall not kindle upon you. It's like the story, the poem of the footprints in the sand, where a man had a dream one night, and he dreamed that he was looking back over the sands of time, looking back over his life history, and there in the sands of time, he could see two sets of footprints. One was his footprints, and one was Christ's footprints. But he noticed that whenever his footprints went into a valley, at sort of a dark place in his life, there was only one set of footprints. So he turned to the Lord and he said, well, Lord, why did you leave me when I needed you the most? And the Lord said, my child, I didn't leave you. It was then that I carried you. And so it is, my friends, with every one of you. Those footprints, the Lord said, are my footprints. During those dark parts of your life, I was carrying you. Never feel that Christ is far away. He's always near. It's when you think he's the farthest, that's probably when he's the closest. Tonight, you might be going through difficulty in your life. You might be facing challenges in your experience. But God says to you, when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. When thou passest through the waters, God says, I will, I will be, be with, with thee. God's going to be with you. You're, you might be in problem tonight. God says, I am there. I am with you. There is hope for you, friend. There is hope for you. The devil is the one to blame. There is hope for you. Creating sorrow is his only aim. There is hope for you to save from sin and Satan. Jesus came. So there is hope in Christ for you. There is hope for you. Christ bought back your right to choose. There is hope for you. In the game of life, you must not lose. There is hope for you. Do not God's grace and love refuse because there is hope in Christ for you. There is hope for you. Christ is with you in your pain. There is hope for you when tears fall as the stormy rain. There is hope for you. God's comfort is for you to gain. Yes, friend, there is hope in Christ for you. When you go through those difficulties in your life, would you like to ask Jesus to help you sense his presence near? How many want to ask the Lord to help you sense his presence near when you're going through trial? May I see your hands? Yes. We're going to end our meeting with a prayer tonight and pray that God help us to experience his presence near when we're in trial. I'll invite you to stand with us as we conclude with prayer. Before we pray tonight, there may be someone here 
who is going through real difficulty. Maybe you are in the furnace of affliction, a crisis in your life, and you'd like to be especially remembered in our prayer tonight as we pray. If you are that one, would you just raise your hand? God sees your hand. He knows the crisis you're facing. Let's bow our heads as we pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight to know that you are not the cause of the suffering, the problems, the heartaches that so often come to our lives. We're thankful to know who is to blame. We're thankful that there is hope beyond this world through Jesus and through his sacrifice. Tonight, we especially pray for these who've raised their hands. You know the affliction that they're facing. You know the difficulties in their lives. You know the heartache. So just now, dear Lord, we ask you'd put your arms of love about each one. May each one experience your presence near. May we sense that you are with us. We pray as we leave this place tonight, give us hope, give us assurance, and give us the peace of your presence, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.